This is Talent Everywhere for April 2017. We're talking about design thinking for distributed teams. Welcome to the Talent Everywhere podcast for leaders building high-performing teams in our fast-changing world. Here are your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you going? Really well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Really well. Change the name of the podcast? We have, yes. Yeah, big changes, huh? Something for our observant audience to notice. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it used to be called Out of Office, which is is still very much about people working outside their traditional office and working from home, working from co-working spaces, working from... um, as part of a global team, so working as part of a a distributed team. And we're just taking the approach that recently we've been talking about the the leader or manager's perspective and the fact that they can find talent everywhere, not just in their local city and in their particularly in their local office. So we decided to change the um, the podcast title to Talent Everywhere. Yeah, it makes sense, Gihan. That focus has shifted subtly, and uh, I like the change. Yep, me too. Me too. And so today we're going to be talking about design thinking. And uh, design thinking is a fairly it's a fairly new concept. And it's, a, it's applied in a lot of different scenarios. And we're going to apply it here to the, the structure of your distributed team. So broadly speaking, design thinking is all about looking at an outcome first and then designing the path to an outcome. So rather than what most people do when they look at problem solving is uh, they look at a current situation and they figure out how to fix the problems in that situation or in that current scenario, uh, design thinking takes a more holistic approach. So it says, let's take a step back, let's start with the outcome that we want and then design a path to it. So pretend that we don't have anything yet and then design the the ideal path to achieve that outcome. And it's been applied in a lot of areas and particularly today we're going to be talking about how we're going to apply it to workers in their workplaces. And typically it looks at high level outcomes like high employee engagement or high motivation and then designs everything around that. And when you're talking about workplaces, we're talking about things like the, the physical place, um, the physical space that people work in. We're talking about people's workflows. We're even talking about the people within those uh, within those workplaces. Uh, so we look at things like uh, talent recruitment, talent retention, and all of those things. And um, there are a number of reasons for doing this, because if you do have um, a well-designed workplace and workflows, then you do get um, better, more productive workers because they're happier, they, they're more satisfied with their workplace, and so they tend to be more productive and perform at a higher level. It also means that you have a, a workplace that people want to well, where, where people want to work, so it's easier to get the, the get the top talent and to keep them there. Um, and also, just looking at generational differences, there are some generations now, like the Gen Ys and the Gen Zs, who are now just coming into the workforce, who do want um, different kind of workplaces than their their than their parents or even the Gen Xs wanted. Things like meaningful work, flexible working hours, uh, and they want a workplace that's that's designed for them, not that. They just go to work for eight hours a day uh, to earn money. So in its broadest term, we, the, the whole idea of design thinking includes people from throughout the organization. So it's an organization-wide initiative. So you include HR because they're involved in talent retention and recruitment. You involve IT because they're, invo- they're involved in the, the digital workflows. Um, and you involve leadership at all levels. But um, let's take a narrow view. 
if you're the leader of a team and you don't necessarily have the authority to enlist all these people, what can you do? What can you do at a smaller level that will still have a big impact on your team? So we're going to look at this idea of creating a better workplace, um, not just for your in-office team, but for your distributed team in general. Yeah, very good, Gihan. And we'll we'll focus specifically on three three areas that affect workplaces and particularly that affect distributed teams. We'll start with space, which is where people do their work, and that can vary from a regular office, or you might have remote workers in their home offices. You might have people who are working on the move and are working in co-working spaces or even in cafes. Uh, it could also include uh, the digital workplace, so the tools and uh, and the things in the cloud that people are using, but today we'll focus on the physical workplace. There's also time, so which is that that is when people do their work. So your team might be distributed across several time zones. Different people might have different work weeks. You might have people working a regular Monday through Friday. Some of your remote workers might have a four-day week, let's say. My Egyptian colleagues, for instance, they work from yesterday through till uh, Thursday, because Friday and Saturday is their weekend. Um, and the working hours that people have. So again, you might have people on regular nine-to-five type hours, but your remote workers might have more flexible arrangements. And then the third aspect we'll look at is the people, so the people who are actually doing the work. And, and again, there's going to be a variety of different types of people working in something like a distributed team. So what we'll do is we'll take the perspective of an in-office worker. So I'll take that perspective and Gihan, you'll take the perspective of a remote worker. And in each of those cases, we'll give advice to the other type of worker on how they can improve and design a better work experience. Um, so we'll describe each of these ideas from the points of view of those workers, but it's worth bearing in mind that the workers themselves don't necessarily have the authority to make their ideas happen. So they're going to be relying on you as their team leader to make those things happen or at least champion those ideas if, if you don't have the authority to do it. So for example, if remote workers are advocating for more flexible working hours for their in-office colleagues, then the team leader, you might need to authorise that. But if you don't have the authority to do so, then you need to lobby senior management to make it happen. So Gihan, let's get started with space. Yeah, good. And, and space is just uh, the most obvious one because you have your in-office workers and your remote workers who generally have very different physical environments that they work in. So um, it is quite obvious that they have very different environments, but maybe they can learn from each other. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking it's the, the idea of having a sofa in the office or a computer in the dining room. So yep. the, that's kind of the contrast and how do you make that happen? So um, as you said, Chris, let me take the role of the remote worker and some of the things that remote workers do that maybe in-office workers can learn from or can, uh, can adopt. Um, so the first thing is make your workspace personal. So as a remote worker, you generally have a lot of control over your workspace that, that you might be working from home. So you're working in a comfortable area. You've got uh, you've you got your personal surroundings. You've got your family. You've got pictures of your family up on the wall and you've actually got your real family there as well. So it is a very personal workspace. And even if you're not working in an, um, from home, you might be working from a cafe or a co-working space. And But the idea is that you have got a very personal workspace, which, which makes it very comfortable for you to work. And the other thing you can do is, to some extent, remove distractions and minimise interruptions 
generally people who are remote workers are working alone um, or they might be working in a kind of social environment like a co-working space but even then there's an understanding that they're generally going to be left alone to work which is a real it's a luxury that many in-office workers don't have so if there's a way that you can somehow in an office um, remove distractions and minimize interruptions you might be as productive as remote workers can uh, another thing that remote workers can do generally because they've got control over their workspace is that you can change your environment and that changes your thinking. So you could, if you're working from, you set aside a study in your room, uh, sorry, a study in your home as your normal workspace. Uh, if you want to, then take your laptop and go and work at the, the kitchen bench or the dining table because you've got your spouse and kids around and that helps you, then you can do that. If you want to go for a walk and that clears your mind, you can do that. If you want to take your laptop down to your local cafe, have a cup of coffee while you're working, you can do that. And just changing your environment does allow you to do different kinds of work and just shifts your thinking as well. And many in-office workers don't have that luxury, but if they did, it could help their productivity, it could help their creativity, it could help their collaborative skills as well, um, if they're able to change their environment. So those are some of the things that a remote worker can teach in-office workers. Oh, one other one is uh, the concept of BYOD, which is bring your own device. Um, remote workers, so again, if you're working from home, you might have a lot more control by the kind of technology that you're using. Uh, you might be quite happy um, and quite comfortable working on from your phone, your laptop, and your tablet um, all at the same time or switching between them as you need to because you've got control over the technology in your home. You might have very fast internet access uh, or you may not have fast internet access. You may be able to go somewhere that has fast access. Uh, and again, in an office, working in an office, you don't necessarily have as much control over your technology infrastructure. It may have been set up by IT. It may have been mandated by IT. You may not be able to bring your smartphone in and connect it to the, to the office um, Wi-Fi network because of security concerns. So if you have got that flexibility, it does help. Uh, it's, it means, for example, that you can um, go and work in a cafe without losing your connectivity to all the the infrastructure that you're used to. So if you can take advantage of some of those things um, and some of the flexibility of the physical workplace of the remote worker, you can make the in-office work environment a lot more comfortable, a lot more enjoyable and uh, productive as well. Very good. So let's switch perspectives to that of an in-office work and how they could inform a, re a remote worker about their workplace experience. So something that um, in-office workers have is the office. So it's a fixed and permanent place that they go to for work. And when they're there, everything that they need for work is conveniently located. It's at their fingertips on their desk, or they can get to it relatively easily uh, by walking down the corridor, let's say. So that's really powerful because you know it's, it's efficient and everything they need to, to do work is available to them. In the case of a remote worker who's, say, working from home, it's tempting just to grab your laptop and stick it on the kitchen bench and get started working. You know, it's, it's quick and, and convenient. But then when you need other things, then you have to go and find them and dig them out of wherever they happen to be. And, and that's when things become unproductive and, and inefficient. So the idea here is that having a fixed and dedicated space for work as a remote worker is, is very 
um, efficient and productive for you. So if you've got the luxury of something like a study or a spare bedroom that you can set up and dedicate as your workspace for a remote worker, then do that. But if not everyone has that luxury and that means that you might need to um, say set up a desk in a corner and there's some great resources online where you can see some of the ways people have bought simple IKEA desks and turned them into a, a nice workstation and then everything that you need is in is in one place you're not having to set up your laptop in the morning on the kitchen bench tidy it away at the end of the day and those sorts of things and then the other thing that um, that a remote worker can do is go to a place where those where those kinds of resources are set up for them. They can go to a co-working space where there are things like printers, even 3D printers, the kinds of exotic tools that you might not have um, at your fingertips in a home office, but that are provided for you by people who have set up co-working spaces and thought about these sorts of things. The other thing that in-office workers are used to is being, when they're at work, is being in a busy environment. So the people around them are working, or at least they're pretending to work, and there's that buzz of activity going on in the background that research has shown is useful for getting you in the mood for work. So it influences your mindset and um, it prepares you and, and helps you work. As opposed to sitting in quiet solitude, it's easy for distractions to intrude on your thoughts and uh, disrupt you from the work that you're meant to be doing. So in-office workers get that for free because they're in an environment where there is activity. So if you're a remote worker and you're in a, spending a lot of time working in your home office, then you don't get that, that buzz of activity that helps you um, set a working mindset. So what you can do is you can spend time at something like a cafe where there are people around you ordering coffees, there's that general buzz of activity and that can help you get help get you in the in the right mindset for work. Similarly co-working spaces offer a similar atmosphere. But if you don't have those things, then you can fake it till you make it. And I believe, Gihan, there's an app that you can um, download, install, and when you run it, it sets some background noise that um, makes you feel like you are in an active environment. Yeah, that's right. The, the app is called Coffeeativity. That's it. And, uh, exactly. That's all it does, just plays a background noise uh, of, a, of a low-level kind of noise around you. Excellent. So, good. So, we talked about space, so setting up your workspace. Uh, let's move on to time, Chris. Okay. So, again, as with space, the, the experience of in-office and remote workers are likely to be quite different. So, in-office workers are probably going to have set hours. They may work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, while remote workers are more likely to have set up their work arrangements, their work times, uh, to be more flexible and suit their, their work style and their lifestyle. Yeah, and the obvious thing that remote workers can teach in-office workers is the flexibility. But it's not just about that. There are other things that in-office uh, that that remote workers do very well, um, that in-office workers can learn from. So one of the things uh, against a luxury is that remote workers tend to have large chunks of dedicated, focused uninterrupted work time um, because they have so much control over their environment. So the other things that you can do in the office that can help you get that. It's not always easy because you're surrounded by lots of people, but there are things like the Pomodoro technique where you, you set aside blocks of time where you work for a dedicated set of time, then you take a short break, and that's where you interact with other people, and then you go back to work and so on. Um, you can get away from the office if, if you absolutely need that chunk of 
uh, dedicated time, then maybe you get away from at least your desk and maybe go into a meeting room and shut the door and work there, or you actually get physically away from the office. Um, and if you can't do that, at least set some clear signals. So um, some people, if, if you've got an office with a door, then you could have a rule that says, when my door's closed, please don't disturb. Um, and when my door's open, you can come in and interrupt me. Um, or if you don't have an office with a door, the other people have rules. Like if, when, I, when my teddy bear is sitting on top of the monitor, that means do not disturb. Or you might even have a do not disturb sign that you stick um, on your desk to just let people know not to disturb you at that time. Um, another thing that remote workers do is that they tend to be quite efficient with their time, um, especially when it comes to collaboration. So if you have an online meeting, then people tend to turn up or log into the meeting right when the meeting starts. They get straight into the business of the meeting, and when they finish, they just hang up and go back to work. And there, there isn't that. There generally isn't a tendency for people to turn up late because that really is seen as rude. And people don't tend to turn up early and chat. Uh, they don't go to. Um, they don't spend the first few minutes of the meeting just having social chit chat. They're pretty efficient. Um, so try to be like can you be more efficient in the office as well because uh, the more efficient you can be the more work you get done is and it's amazing how much time is lost when you have things like interruptions or for for meetings or just interrupting somebody else it's not just the time that you engage with them but it's the time that you then have to get back into the um the mindset of the work that you were doing previously and um, getting to back to the point of flexibility, can you have flexible working hours in your workplace? It's not just remote workers who have kids who have to be picked up from school or taken to school or um, who have to do laundry. Um, remote workers quite often do that and they fit that into their workday. In-office workers, not so much because that flexibility is not necessarily available. However, more and more offices are moving towards flexibility working hours and uh, it's one of those things that um, many more workers are expecting now and expecting to be um, that it's something that they take for granted and they just assume that they they're going to have flexible work so even if the organization as a whole doesn't offer that as part of the standard working conditions um, perhaps you and your team um, might come to some agreement where there is some possibility for more flexible working hours excellent all right so let's take the perspective of an in-office worker and what can they uh, what can they tell their remote colleagues to help them improve their work experience well something that in-office workers are used to having is the concept of core hours so they're working say nine to five each day and all of their colleagues who are in the office are doing the same uh, more or less so that means that there's a great deal of overlap between the time that an individual in the office is doing work and the time that their colleagues are working. And that's really useful because if you want to schedule meetings, it's really easy to choose times because you just choose a time anywhere between 9 and 5 and you know that people are going to be at work. Or if you need to, to ask someone a question that, uh, that you need to answer urgently that can't be done by email, then you can just pop in and if they're available, if they haven't got their teddy bear on their monitor, you know that you can ask them that question, that they're available to, to you. And similarly, you can be available to others during those core hours. This is something that remote workers don't necessarily have because they will probably have taken advantage of the flexibility that their remote work uh, lends them. And so they might be working completely different hours and there's no guarantee necessarily that they're going to overlap with the hours of their colleagues and that's particularly the case if they're in different time zones so what uh, what the uh, what your 
remote workers might consider doing and something that I've done is make sure that during your work hours you have at least some degree of overlap with your colleagues. Um, it doesn't have to be every day, it might be a few days a week and it might only be a few hours a day but try and set up your, try and make use of your flexibility such that you do have that kind of overlap. Um, for, for me most of my colleagues are in Western Europe so that means that my afternoons overlap with their mornings and that's the time when we can schedule meetings and be available to each other. I think you're making a really important point here, Chris, and uh, I, th I think it operates at two levels. So first of all, you can be available with, with that overlapping you know, time zones or that those core hours where you're overlapping um, intentionally so that you have meetings at that time and you schedule meetings at that time. But the other thing, and I think you're doing this, is that you make that time available even if there is no, um, there's nothing scheduled, but it gives it gives it opportunity for real-time collaboration. And quite often remote workers complain that they're left out of discussions, they're left out of decisions, they're left out of meetings, but they could, they could facilitate that and they could be more included simply by being available more frequently. Exactly, exactly. So something else that um, in-office workers will get more or less for free is the fact that they're uh, it's easy for them to switch off work. They go to the office, they do their work, they leave the office and they stop working. They might check their emails when they're at home but it's not something they would make a regular habit of doing. But this isn't something that um, remote workers necessarily can do so easily because the tools of your trader at your fingertips, you've got your mobile devices, your home office is only a room away, so the temptation to spend all of your available time doing work is a very strong one and if you succumb to that temptation it can really uh, wreck your, your work-life balance. So finding a way to switch off is a really powerful and important thing for all workers in-office workers get that more or less for free because they can leave the office and when they leave the office they stop working. But it's something that um, remote workers have to make a more conscious effort to do. So being disciplined about what your work hours happen to be and when you get to the end of those hours stopping work, shutting your office door let's say and then switching to, to being at home is one of the things that you can do. But uh, a more useful approach that uh, you can take as a remote worker is to try and emulate the thing that in-office workers do, which is they have to commute to and from the office. So they have this third space, a time between home time and work time when they're commuting to and from the office. And that provides in-office workers with the time and space to wind down and transition from work mode to home mode and vice versa. So a remote worker could potentially emulate that uh, by having this transition period by between when they're working. It might be hard to just switch off just like that. I certainly find it hard to just switch off thinking about work. Um, just because I've left the home office doesn't mean I'm, I stop thinking about work. So having a time when you can transition between the two is quite a useful thing and that's why uh, in-office in workers can do when they commute. So you can emulate, emulate that. You could possibly get out of the get out of the home office, go to the gym, or go for a run. Or if you're not that active a person, you could catch up on your social network, or read news headlines, or maybe listen to a podcast or some music as a way of transitioning between your um, work mode and your home mode. 
Yeah, and I think the point of this is to make sure that your work doesn't leak into your home life and vice versa. So whatever way you do it, 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 it doesn't have to be that you find a physical space, but as you say, it could be just listening to something or it could be having a chat with your partner um, about your work day for five minutes. And then after that, you don't talk about work anymore for the rest of the evening. So something that, that has a separation between work and home. Yeah, very good. Good. So now let's look at people. So the people in your life. So in, in the office, it's pretty obvious because your team's working side by side and you've got easy access to each other at all times. Um, remote workers tend not to have that. You might, you probably are part of a team, but you're also probably working in isolation um, a lot of the time. And even when you're not, you, like if you're working in a co-working space, it's not necessarily uh, your team members who are around you. They're there are other people who um, you tend to see regularly, but they're not part of your regular team. Um, so that has pros and cons. So as a remote worker, here are some of the benefits that uh, in-office workers can learn from. So one of them is that you can you can set really clear boundaries with people when you're working remotely, um, because you can you want to get uninterrupted work done, you want to be more productive, um, and it's very easy to set those boundaries because you you can shut the door or you can work from home or in a co-working space there generally rules. I know one co-working space they had the rules that if you if you've got your headphones with both uh, your earphones. Uh, both of them plugged in, that means do not disturb. If you've got one of them unplugged, that means you can interrupt if you feel like it. And if you haven't got your headphones plugged in at all, then that means um, feel free to come along and save me from whatever else you're doing. <laughs> um, so there are rules and uh, you as a remote worker get to set those rules. In an office, it's not so easy to set those sort of rules. Um, so those rules aren't set automatically, so you can set them. So again, set up rules that mean that you, you can have boundaries between you and your colleagues. The sort of things that I mentioned earlier, like you can have these do not disturbs. You can have times when you're when you're open for collaboration. Um, I know one a manager who had an office, but he didn't spend all his time in his office. Uh, at times, he would go and sit in the general meeting room with the door open, and that that was a real open invitation for people to come and talk to him. So he made a very explicit way of saying, these, these are my boundaries. So when the office door is closed, then uh, I'm not available. When the office door is open, you can come in. But um, when I'm working in the general meeting space, then uh, it's very much an open invitation to, to come and chat. Um, the other thing with people is that, uh, as I mentioned, in an office, the people that you work with, your team members, are generally the same people that you see every day. Um, but remote workers tend to expand their network uh, beyond their immediate team. So they want to have that, that human person personal, what do they call it, Chris? Belly-to-belly -belly contact with people. That's it. So, so they create other other networks. They create professional friendships at their co-working place. They talk to the same people at the coffee shop that they go to every day. And they join or create even uh, professional groups. For example, um, you know, Chris, I've, I've created a, a business book club and a discussion group that happens every month. And it's a, it is really an eclectic bunch of people um, from um, – more people I know from my personal life, my professional life, uh, but interesting people who get together and talk about something. And I'm not sure that I would have done that if I had been working in an office and I had that same sort of rapport with the, the regular team members that I saw every day in the office. And you don't have to create your own. There are many meetup groups that you could join. At, so look up meetup.com and you'll find pl plenty of groups, both personal and professional, in your local area. 
And, and the other thing is when you're looking for professional relationships like mentoring, you might often get them from outside the organization. As a remote worker, you don't necessarily have access to people within the organization for doing in-person mentoring. So you might go to your professional association and find a mentor there, or you might go to some other place where you get an uh, you get mentoring, but um, externally. And the same thing applies in an office, just because you're in an office and you do have access to mentors within the company or within the organization, doesn't mean that you can't go externally. And sometimes that external mentoring can be just as valuable. So I guess the point I'm making here is that um, in an office, it's very tempting to do not much more than um, collaborate and, and communicate and network with the people in the office, but don't don't stick to that. Uh, by all means, do that, but look at expanding your network beyond the office as well. Yeah, very good. So, how can the benefits of working and in, in working in office uh, help out people who are working remotely? So, Gihan, you talked about um, professional interactions just a moment ago, and and they are very important, but in a in an office setting. People who are working together get to know each other uh, on more than just a professional level. They get to know each other personally and socially. So they, they talk about things outside of work when they bump into each other in the corridor, or they might actually catch up with, it, with each other after work, go out for, for dinner, see a movie, or ev even catch up on the weekends. So they get to know each other on a uh, on a social level, and that's something that's really valuable. It, it improves the rapport in teams, it improves the way that people work, they have greater trust and confidence in one another, and it's something that remote workers need as well. So developing, as you said earlier, about remote workers, they tend to be quite professional and, and, and um, efficient in their communications and collaborations with others. So they need to be encouraged to open up a little bit more and establish those uh, personal and social connections with their um, their other their other teammates. Uh, so one of the ways that you can do that is just have that time during meetings where people can have social chit chat and as a remote worker just open up and talk about some of the things that you've been doing that are outside of work and, and when you do that that'll encourage people to open up to you and share those kinds of things as well. So that's a way that uh, people can start connecting on a personal and social level within a distributed team. Something else that in-office workers are going to be all too familiar with is office politics. And it's tempting for remote workers to think that they've risen above that or that they're insulated from that by virtue of the fact that they're working remotely from the rest of the team. But it's simply not the case. Office politics will affect all people who are in teams, regardless of whether they're working in the office. It's going to influence their roles, the assignments that they get, and their career prospects. So everyone... Um, remote workers included do need to learn to play the game, and because they're they're remote, because they don't um, they don't they're not able to tap into it in the office, they're going to have to be more proactive about how they play that game. So that means doing things like asking for leadership positions. So you might wish to chair some of the online meetings that your team has. You can offer to make presentations. And this is all a way of um, people getting to know who you are, what it is that you can do, um, where your skills are, and 
even people outside the team will will start to understand that kind of thing, especially if you're making presentations to uh, to people beyond the team. And if your organisation and team have um, collaborative spaces like wikis and blogs and other forums um, where you can contribute, then be proactive in making use of those. Let it know. Let let people know where your expertise lies, what it is that you've been doing, um, and, and just develop your brand using those kinds of spaces and tools. And look, we spoke, we, we've spoken about how remote workers do have the benefit of working in an office or going to cafes or going to co-working spaces, but often it's it's easy for um, it's easy to take the, the the path of least resistance and just work exclusively in solitude just stick to the home office and actually not get out and about that takes effort to, to go to even a, a local cafe uh, even more so to to organize membership at a co-working space and and drag yourself there you're in office colleagues you know they're always working around people they've got their office mates there but remote workers do have this time when they're working in solitude and it can it can be too too much. So there are these resources like local cafes and co-working spaces that remote workers do need to to uh, get out and um, actually meet people and and be around other people. And and it's not just work, co-working spaces. It can be things like uh, meetup groups. So there are meetup groups on all manner of subjects. There are ones related to uh, the professional things that they're doing that you're doing, the skills and the tools that you use. So you can join those and meet up with like-minded people. Or you might be a member of a professional society that has regular meetings where you can get together and connect with people who are working in a similar area to you or go to their annual conference and, and, and network there. And finally, uh, it might be that head office isn't, um, isn't too far away, that it's, that it's just a, a train trip away. So even as a remote worker, maybe you can pop into head office once a month. Uh, if not, you could, um, you know, um, make the make the journey like I do every year or so, so that you can catch up with your colleagues belly to belly, face to face. Great. Okay, so we looked at those three areas, Chris, about uh, the the differences between the work environment, space, time, and the people. And I hope they've got some ideas about both in office and uh, remote work and uh, how you can improve those workplaces. And uh, as we said at the start, this is this is a little subset of design thinking. Design thinking would, um, if you think about design thinking and applying it to the workplace, you would do it at an organizational level. But I hope that we've got some ideas here that will work even at an individual team level and, and that can significantly improve the, the workplace experience for everybody, the in-office workers and the remote workers. And the other thing I'd really point out or reiterate, Chris, is a point that you made earlier that we've described everything here from the point of view of the workers. However, as a leader or manager, it's so much more effective if you can facilitate this for them. So it's one thing to expect people to talk among themselves about how they can make their workplace better, but it's another thing altogether when you as a leader or manager proactively um, encourage and initiate these conversations because then the sort of things that we've talked about, um, the people in your team will have the similar sort of ideas and will have even better ideas. So do take responsibility and do act proactively around it. Yeah, indeed, Gihan. So ideation and implementation are really important phases in design thinking. And we've talked a lot about ideation, how the, the people themselves can um, inspire each other and, and make suggestions. The implementation is, is really in the bull court of the, the leader of the team. So 
you mentioned at the beginning that we have a new name, a new brand for the podcast. So it's Talent Everywhere. And we have a website, talenteverywhere.com.au. And that's going to have the resources related to Talent Everywhere, including we'll be having a blog and we'll have show notes for the podcast and any links uh, related to that, you can find them there. So it remains to, for me to thank you, Gihan, and thank our audience and uh, see you next time. Thanks, Chris. For show notes, past episodes and more, visit talenteverywhere.com.au. And remember, great minds don't think alike.